So let's grab our Bibles if we could and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. I talked to you about how, um, how much of a blessing it is to be called in the ministry. And, and it really is, it really is a, uh, it's a small family to be serving the Lord in the ministry. And it's such a privilege to do that. And, and I want to talk to you today about this subject, uh, approving our ministry. Approving ourselves in ministry. That's not I improving, that's A, approving. Approving ourselves in ministry. I want to read this passage of Scripture to you. And uh, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture to you uh, and then talk to you a little bit about this truth from 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. I, I don't know what your habit is here, but would it be okay? Would you stand with me as we read the Word, word of God together? That will honor the Word of God and wake you up a little bit as well. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, I'm going to begin reading, if I could, verse number 3. Give me no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Can I tell you, there's, there are people in this room here today that will be tempted to mess up. And a whole swath of people in your community and on the internet will use you to blame the ministry. Can I tell you, don't do that. Stay faithful to the Lord. Give me no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things, and notice this phrase, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. It's, a, it's an odd phrase. You would think, what, I, I don't approve myself, right? That's what ordination is for. That's what my diploma is for. That, that approves me, right? Well, it says there's a time in ministry that we have to approve ourselves, and it is not a, it is not a self-promotion. It is the idea that we know in our hearts what God has called us to do. Approving ourselves in the minister, as ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by longsuffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor uh, and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. I want to talk to you today about this subject, approving ourselves in the ministry. Let's pray together if we could. Dear Father, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to gather. And Lord, I pray and ask, Lord, would you please help these young people and help all of us in this room that are called into the ministry to, in one setting or another. May, Lord, maybe we settle in our hearts, Father, that you've called us and that we're being faithful to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Approval is an odd thing. Where do you get approval from and where do you get it? I mentioned before, you get a diploma and you walk across the platform and you move the little tassel on your hat and that's, that's a form of approval. That's saying, hey, you paid your school bill. That's probably the most important thing it says. <laughs> it's also saying that you passed your classes and you didn't get enough demerits or whatever else they've got here to kick you out. There's an idea of approval when you walk across and you graduate. There's an idea of approval uh, when you get ordained. 
I believe the local church ordains, and I believe that when they lay their hands on you to ordain you, they are not the ones sending you in the ministry. God sends you into the ministry. But what they're saying when they ordain you, they put their hands on you, and they say, you know what? We're going to give a testimony that we agree that God has sent this person in the ministry. There's a, there's, a, there's a level of approval in ordination. But I just want to remind you of something. There, there, there is always in every human being a, a desire for approval. Let's give you a couple of examples. Let me give you this example. You're having, you're having midterms, right? You're having midterms. And I, I had a professor who's one of my favorite professors. And I'll tell you, I didn't always pass his midterms. As a matter of fact, he was my Greek number, Greek one and Greek two teacher. And I remember about as much Greek as I do from college as I do French from high school, which is about all of three words. I wasn't very good at Greek. As a matter of fact, I remember one time uh, he had given us a big project. And he was, man, he was such a powerful teacher and preacher. I loved him. His name was Keith Kaiser. Huge impact on my life. And he gave us this big Greek project. And he says, all right, here's the Greek project. And he kind of laid it out. And uh, I, it was, it, I don't know, two, three weeks, whatever it, we had. And I turned it in. And, uh, and then, you know, a class or two later, he comes back uh, with this big old stack of papers. Now, number one, uh, Greek class at that time for us happened at 7 a.m. How many of you know nothing godly happens at 7 a.m.? So I, he didn't want to be there, and he would tell you and that we didn't want to be there. But that's what time it was. And so we showed up at 7 a.m. one morning, and you could tell he had not had a good day the day before. None of your teachers have probably ever done this, but, man, he just had that look in his eye. And so we were all sitting up straight. And he, uh, he began to take this stack of papers that was our projects. And he said to me, or he didn't say to me, he was saying to the class, he said, now, look, he said, I told you guys to do this project, and some of you, some of you did a horrible job on this project. And, man, he went on for two, three minutes. And he finally said, he said, next time I give you a project, why don't you act like you're a preacher and do it right? And he took the top paper off of the stack and laid it down on my table in front of me and had a big, nice, shiny red F on it. Now, the truth of the matter was, now, look, he, he loved God, he loved me, and I had done a very poor job on that project. I don't know that I got a real bad grade. I don't know if anybody got a good grade on that project. And you know what? I, I loved him and cared about him so much that I thought, you know, one day, one day, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep serving God. I'm not quitting. And one day, I want him to come hear me preach and say, you know what? You did okay. You know what my heart craved for? My, my heart craved for a little approval from him because I loved him and respected him so much. Sad truth is, about a year after I graduated, he had surgery had a blood clot that went to his heart, passed away. So he's never heard me preach. Now, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> but but I, I, can't, I can't get approval from him. Brother Robertson said he met my, my grandfather, my pastor. My pastor was a great, faithful pastor. I love him. He pastored 42 years in the same church. I love him. I love him. I can't wait to see him in heaven one day. And so my grandfather, my pastor, I remember very distinctly, uh, you know, I worked for him for six years, and, and after that he, he passed away of cancer and um, had two or three times. 
And I can remember after he passed away, I became the pastor. And, and Brother Robertson, uh, for I want to say for three or four months after he passed away, I, I would get up out of my office and walk across the hallway to walk into his office and get halfway to his office and remember, he's not there anymore. How, how am I going to get approval from him? He's with the Lord. And can I tell you, as, as, as ministers of Christ, our, our hearts still yearn for some level of approval. Am I doing this right? Am I being faithful? Do I have the right doctrine? And sometimes we can't get it from other people. So this passage of Scripture is going to talk to, to us about this. How do we approve ourselves? How do you know you're being faithful? If nobody else can come and give you an A-plus on a paper anymore, if nobody else can come and pat you on the back and say, hey, you're doing a great job, how do you stay faithful in the ministry in that moment? Because, because you will come to some point in your ministry, whether it's in a Christian school, whether it is in your home, whether it is in a church, and you will get to the place where nobody else seems to be there telling you you're doing a good job, and you're going to have to answer the question, am I going to continue can I, do I keep going or have I royally messed up and do I need to quit? And, and the truth of the matter is, if God has called you, you don't need to quit. You need to approve yourself. Not in a, not in a arrogant way, but in a scriptural way. So let's look at it if we could. Approving ourselves in the ministry. First of all, I want you to see this, the time of our approval. When do we approve ourselves? Look if you would. It says, verse number four, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Now notice the place, the times where we're going to get approval. In much patience. Patience is a, is a tough thing, you know. In afflictions. In Necessities, that means you need something and don't have it. In distresses, in stripes, that's not your local sports team's colors. That is when he was beaten. In imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings. You know what a watching was? That's when he didn't know if somebody's going to come attack him, so he had to sit up at night, watch out, make sure nobody's going to come and harm him. And then... And fastings. Can I ask you this question? Would all of those things, would we think of them from a human perspective as good things or bad things? Just from a human's perspective. We would think from our flesh bad things. So in other words, here's what it doesn't say. Because here's what sometimes happens to ministers. Sometimes we think, you know what? When I am successful, when I accomplish something, you know what it, you know what it doesn't say in here? It doesn't say, when you have the largest youth group, then you approve yourself. It doesn't say when your church gets to, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm a little sick today and my voice is cracking. Anyway, uh, it doesn't say when you get your church to a certain number of attendance, that's when I'm going to approve myself. It doesn't say when, uh, when my college comes, calls me back and gives me an honorary doctorate or something like that, uh, that, that's when I get approval. No, it lists all of these hard times. And I want you to know that when you have hard times in the ministry, uh, there, there are seasons. Some seasons will be, whoo, this is awesome. Some seasons will be just like, oh, here we go. Let's just stay steady. And some seasons will be like, whew, this is the worst day ever. And in those seasons, can I tell you, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul, 
That's when he approved himself. The time of our approving is in times of trouble. If you're taking notes, write that down. The times of our approving is in times of trouble. And I want to encourage you and remind you that, it, that it, sometimes it is, it is when, we, uh, when things aren't going well and it's when things aren't stacking up and when things aren't impressive. That is exactly when we need to approve ourselves. People have bad days. You heard about the guy who went to the doctor, right? And the doctor said to him, I have bad news and I have worse news. The doctor said to him, he said, well, he said to the doctor, okay, tell me the bad news. The doctor says, we, we ran your test and you only have 24 hours left to live. And the guy says, well, what could be worse news than that? He said, well, I forgot to tell you yesterday. <laughs> There's bad news and worse news, right? And sometimes in ministry, you'll have, you'll have a bad day. But when that happens, I want you to know that doesn't mean there, there is something in our American minds that equates hardship with the fact that we're doing something wrong. And let me tell you this, that can be God's chastening or it could just be life. And in the middle of those hard times, you're going to be able to take a step back and say, hey, look, am I being chastened? Do I need to change something or is this just life and I need to stay faithful? Because it is in times of trouble that we oftentimes get our Get our opportunity to approve ourselves and know, yes, this is where God has called me. And yes, I'm doing what God has called me to do. In 1783, a guy by the name of Charles Simeon was pastoring in England. He was in Cambridge and he went into a church and he was super excited. Hey, here's a, here's a pastor and, uh, and, uh, and it's new and the honeymoon phase is always good, right? And so he got into that and he was super excited, but he found out pretty soon it wasn't as good as he thought it was because he had a really a big heart to reach his community. He was inviting all kinds of people to church and they were coming and the people in the church didn't like it. As a matter of fact, in those days, they had pew boxes, okay? And those pew boxes, on the end of the pews, they would have a door and it was your family's pew box. Now, I'm tempted to do that in the Baptist church. In a Baptist church, I'm tempted to put turnstiles on the back rows <laughs> and charge a quarter to get in the back row of the church. They fill up fast. Anyway, so, but back in those days, these pew boxes, and what they did to Charles Simeon is they began to lock their pew box. And they would say, these are our seats. We're not going to be here, and nobody else is allowed to sit here either. And what he would have, he would invite people, and what the aisles would be full of people, and all of the pews would be empty because they had locked people out. He said this. I'm going to read his quote. In this state of things, I saw no remedy but faith and patience. It was painful indeed to see the church, with the exception of the aisles, almost forsaken. But I thought that if God would only give a double blessing to the congregation that did attend, there would be on the whole be as much good done as if the congregation were doubled and the blessing limited to only half the amount. This comforted me many, many times when even uh, when without such a reflection, I should have sunk under my heavy burden. Ministry is not always flashy, and it's not always uphill. Uh, it's not always impressive, and it's in those moments, not in moments of success, but in moments of trouble where you find out this is what God has called me to do. So you see the times 
for the approval of ministry. And that time was in trouble. But I also want you to see this, the tools for approval. So how do I do this? How do I approve my ministry? What do I look at? Well, you find it here in verse number six, seven. So he listed all the places he was in in verse number four and five. Then verse number six and seven, here's how we approve by. Notice it says this, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And I want you to know, here's some tools that you can use to approve yourself in the ministry. You can write these three things down. Number one, this tool is this, your strength of character. You're doing a lot of things in college right now. One of the things you're doing is learning solid Bible doctrine, solid Bible foundation. You know the other thing you're doing? You're building character. Why do you have a 7 o'clock class? Character. Why do you have to clean your room? For your roommate and character. (laughs) Why do you have certain rules? Character. And you're going to find that when when things get tough, the devil's going to tell you, you don't need to do this anymore. Just throw in the towel and do everything that your friends in high school that aren't living for God are doing. Just, Just to live it up, however the world wants you to live it up. But notice how it starts. Verse number six says this, by, what's that next word? Pureness. The idea is that you stay right and you stay clean. Notice if you would, it says this, verse number seven, by the word of truth, by the power of God, and then by the armor of righteousness. Your character protects you. You you remember in Ephesians, it talks about the breastplate of righteousness. You know, the Romans had all kinds of different armor breastplates. They had, uh, they had the ones that had all the carvings in it that looked really ornate, and it was one sheet and just fit one in the front back and one in the back. They also had ones that kind of looked like a slinky, uh, and they, and they were, had all these bands. The top one was bigger and the, one smaller and one smaller and one smaller and smaller, and then you'd slide them together, and they would store, and you could carry them. And then when you went to put them on, they would kind of expand, and you could get in them. But one of the kinds of armor they had was this, was called scale armor. And it had a, it had a uh, you know, some, some type of a garment underneath. And then on top of that, you had all of these smaller pieces of metal. And they would overlap like scales. And it moved pretty well, and it was pretty flexible, and, and still provided good, good protection. And when I think about the armor of righteousness, I think about that scale armor. And I think about every time we lose a little bit of our character, it's like pulling off one of those pieces of scale tell a little lie in class, pull one of those off. Have, have, have bad character, what you're looking at on the internet, pull a piece of that off. Untruthful with your parents, pull a little piece of that off. Steal and plagiarize a little bit. After all, this is not Harvard, right? You can't do that around here. Pull a little piece of that off. And all of a sudden, you're not, you're not protected anymore because you've lost your character. And your armor now has all of these holes in it for the devil with his fiery darts to attack you. Our character is so valuable. Whatever you do, don't lose your character. The second tool you find here is this, is the sweetness 
of your spirit. Not just the strength of your character, but the sweetness of your spirit. Notice if it would what it says. Verse number six, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. What does unfeigned mean? Somebody tell me. Right? It's not fake. Can I tell you when you get in the ministry, your ministry, the people you work with in your church are just like your dorm mates. Do you like all of your dorm mates? Don't answer that out loud, please. <laughs> some of them are difficult. Some of, some of, some of them are good people. But you're just personality doesn't mesh. Can I tell you that's exactly what happens in churches? And you get in there and you think, man, I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Things aren't going well and I don't get along with this person and, uh, and, and somebody's fussing at me. Can I tell you this? One of the great tools that you're going to find out is if, is if you can go through tough times, keep your character, and keep a sweet spirit. Can I tell you that, that? That is evidence for you that God has called you to do this. And that, and that God has put something in your heart that he hasn't put in the average person's heart. Because normal human reaction to troubled times or lose character, treat everybody else roughly. And I have seen people in ministry lose their sweet spirit. Can I tell you, that's, that's not, look, we ought, to, we ought to stand firm and courageously and boldly and unapologetically for truth. But the people in our churches, as a general rule, we ought to have a spirit of kindness toward them. And if you lose that, you've lost a great element of ministry. The tools, the strength of our character, the sweetness of our spirit, and lastly this, the source of our identity. The source of our identity. Notice in here, if you would, it says a couple of things. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost. We've got to get our identity from the fact that the Spirit of God lives in us. By the word of truth, the Bible ought to be our source of identity. By the power of God, by the armor of the righteous on the right hand and on the left. Our identity cannot come from our successes our identity must come from our Savior. And whether your ministry is going, woohoo, or oh boy, you have the same Savior that is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is immutable, He never changes. And if you're thinking, man, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to be the best evangelist. I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to be the best missionary. And I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to be the best youth director. And I'm going to be out of here and I'm going to be the best Christian school teacher or the best musician. Or I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to be the best uh, dad or the best mom or the best husband or the best wife. And everybody's going to look at me and say, man, what a great they are. Can I tell you that's the wrong place to find your identity? You've got to find your identity in the fact that you know from the Word of God and the Spirit of God that witnesses to you, that you have a Savior that loves you no matter if you, if you are serving in the smallest place or the largest place. I love the old song, little is much when God is in it. You know how, you know how little can be much? When you're certain that your identity comes from your Savior and not your success. The tools for your approval, 
the strength of your character, the sweetness of your spirit, and the source of our identity. So we looked at the time of our approval in tough times, in trouble. We looked at the tools for our approval. I want to I last, lastly give you this, the top of our approval. I couldn't find a better T word, but the zenith. What, what, is, what is, man, when we know, what, what is the goal in ministry? Let's win as many people to Christ as possible. That's good, goal. What, 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 when, I, when, when will I know I have, quote, unquote, arrived in ministry? It's not by how many people you win. As, as important as it is, uh, as important as it is to stay doctrinally right, it's not about, uh, uh, that's not when you have arrived. You should start there and stay there. But I want you to look at this. Verse number eight says this. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true. And then notice these contrasts. As unknown and yet well-known. Those seem to be paradoxical, don't they? How can you be unknown and well-known at the same time? It is odd. I, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll go knocking on doors trying to get people to come to church and uh, visit hand out tracts in, uh, in the grocery stores. like nobody knows where my church is or who I am. But the one, one time I get mad at somebody in traffic and honk my horn and yell out the window at them, it's like everybody and their brother knows me. Oh, there's the pastor. Yeah, well, I was apparently. Anyway. But that happened, unknown and yet known. It, it continues, as dying, it's midterms. Anybody feel like they're dying yet? Hey, look, here's the rest of the verse. And behold, we live. <laughs> as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. What, what, is, what is this thing? When have you arrived? We're proving ourselves in the ministry in times of trouble and, 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 and through these tools. But when do you know you have arrived? When do you know, hey, is it when my when my youth group is so big, when my music ministry is so good, when my, when my classroom uh, is, so, is so organized. No, here's when you know you've arrived, when you have contentment. That's what this is. The Bible says, but godliness with, say it again, but godliness with is great. And that's what these verses describe. That's why I can say as unknown yet known. Nobody cares who I am, but I don't know if somebody knows who I am. For sure the Lord does. Uh, as poor and yet uh, or making many rich, as sorrowful and yet rejoicing. You know what that is? That means no matter what happened, they were content. And can I tell you, contentment is the godliness, staying right with contentment is great gain. Can I tell you, when you get out of here, you're going to have a lot of great foundational truths and you're going to have some character, but you're going, to, you're going to have to learn contentment all for yourself. But the good news is you can do it today. You can be content with the classes you have, the job you have, with the friends you have, with the dorm you have, with the amount of money you have in your bank account. As poor, yet making many rich, right? 
Maybe that should be the Bible college motto. But it's contentment. You know, I think we, I think we get it so confused. I think, you know, somebody said this, that you can't live in the past, it's already gone. You can't live in the future, you're not there yet. You can only live in today. And that's why they call it the present. It's a gift. There's a story of a, of a wealthy businessman, and he walked out on a fishing pier and saw this old codger fisherman, and he's leaned back, and he's got his hat down, pulled over his face, taking his afternoon nap. And this, this uh, wealthy businessman got a little aggravated because he's always on the go, 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 go. Let's get things done. And he nudged the fisherman. And he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm sleeping. He says, why are you sleeping? Because I already caught all the fish I need today. He says, well, why, why, don't you, why don't you fish some more and catch some more fish? The old fisherman says, well, why would I do that? He says, because if you catch some more fish, you can go to the market and you can sell them. And when you sell them, you can hire somebody else to help you fish. And then when you hire somebody else to fish, both of you can catch more fish and you can buy a big boat. And after a little while, you can buy you a big boat and you can have a whole fleet of fishing boats and make lots of money. And the old fisherman said, well, well, then what would I do? He said, well, after you got real rich, you could sit down and rest. And the old fisherman said, what's it look like I'm doing? <laughs> now, that's not encouraging laziness, by the way. But it is encouraging this. Just be content with what you have. Can I tell you this? I could tell you as college students, college days are the greatest days of your life. And it, today is the greatest day of your life because you've got it. I'm 45. That means I, I'm in my midlife, which is midlife crisis, all these wonderful things, you know. But 45 is the greatest day of my life because it's today. And we need, we need to work on being content. Benjamin Franklin said this, contentment makes poor men rich. Discontentment makes rich men poor. Contentment's so big, so big. I'll give you this one last story. There's a, there's a pilot used to fly over the Appalachian Mountains, and he, they'd fly the same route, and every time they go over the Appalachian Mountains, and his co-pilot, uh, his co-pilot said, uh, after a while, he'd watch him, and this pilot would look out the window at this certain valley every time. They'd go across this valley, and he'd look over the mountains and down this valley, and the co-pilot noticed it. And after, I don't know, a couple dozen trips, the co-pilot asked him, hey, why in the world is that little valley down there so important to you? And the pilot said this. He said, you know what? When I was a boy, I grew up in that valley, and I used to sit on that riverbank and watch airplanes go over and say, man, I wish I was flying. He said, now I look out the window down that little valley and say, I wish I was fishing. The idea is simply this. We, we, we're always looking for bigger, better. And man, we ought, to be, we ought to ask God to make us everything he can make us. But our identity does not come from our success. It comes from our Savior. And godliness with contentment is great gain. And I want to encourage you, both today as you're preparing for ministry and the days ahead when you are in ministry and learning and struggling, and you will, 
that you can approve yourself. If nobody's around to pat you on the back and say, keep going, you're doing a good job. That you can say, you know what? In a time of trouble, now's not the time to quit. Now's the time to get some approval. And in that approval, go to your character, keep a sweet spirit, keep your identity in Christ, and may God give you some contentment at that moment. Can we pray together? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to let whoever do the invitation if they want to and however they want. But in the quietness of this moment, some of you are struggling right now. Is this the place I'm supposed to be? Because I'm having a hard time with finances or class or friends or relationships. I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to be. Can I tell you, you can approve yourself right now. Did God call you here? You have good character? Keeping a sweet spirit? You're finding great comfort in your devotions and your relationship with Christ? I want to pray for you that today you'll find contentment. Some of you don't know what the future holds. As a matter of fact, none of us do, but I'm going to pray for you today that when you get in the ministry and things get tough, that the Spirit of God will pull you back to this passage and you can find great comfort in it. Let's pray together. I'm going to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for each of these students. Thank you for calling them into the ministry. Lord, if you've called them, help them be faithful. And Lord, people, ones that are struggling and discouraged now, Lord, I pray today that you'd help encourage them, help them find contentment. Father, I pray for something that I can't do, that no teacher here can do, but Lord, I pray today when it gets hard in the future, would you help them to remember this passage? Would you draw them back to it? And would you help them to find approval outside of any person, but only in you. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name.